Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, it's 9 a.m., and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS and 1320WILS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Rick Pruce and Lee Cohen. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-hosts, the pet experts themselves. We have in position number one, Mr. Rick Pruce from Pruce Pets. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Mr. Lee Cohen. Hey, it's good to see you. <laughs> and we have in position number two, Dr. Will Schultz. Good morning, Dr. Schultz. My entire life, number two. But I can handle it. It's just fine. Good morning, guys. Well, Rick yeah. is in the number one slot because he could not have done a better job of picking a show topic, oh, getting the guests, and having it correspond in the one week of the year that is National uh, Zookeeper. Keeper uh, Appreciation Week, and that's the week we're going to talk with a zookeeper from uh, Potter Park Zoo. I mean, he is absolutely fabulous. I mean, it's not like last week was National Tick Week or anything <laughs> like that. I mean, it felt like I, it. I, I, well, it did, and frankly, we had a really popular show last week uh, based on the response that we saw on social media, but it does seem like that was a topic that a lot of people were interested in because they want to be outside and they want to know how to deal with it. And I thought that it was a great back and forth. It so, was definitely a buggy time of the year. Uh, mm. No question about it. But it's an important thing to talk about. Mm. And who does? Not a lot of people. So I was glad we did. Right. But this week, Rick, you nailed it. I guess you've got an advantage. It helps when the director of Potter Park Zoo is someone who comes from the ecosystem yeah, of Proust Pets. She's an alumni. <laughs> yes. A great person. Yeah, great person. And she and her husband both have worked at our store. He went on the path with uh, working with our wholesale saltwater uh, facility, A&M Aquatics, here locally. And she has been with the Potter's Park Zoo ever since she left our store. And uh, uh, Cindy Wagner has always uh, been this even-tempered, well-thought-out, don't overreact, don't underreact, but but put things in the right direction. And so I think Potter's Park Zoo is uh, very fortunate to have individuals like her that it's it's not it's not drama. It's it's effective managing of the zoo and you know, running yeah. the vet clinic. Right. You know, drama has no place. <laughs> no, right? It doesn't, doesn't work. And at all. and she's the one that <laughs> just puts everything in the right tone and just is always thinking forward about what that zoo needs and where it needs to go. So we're excited to have Cindy on the show, uh, but also we're going to have some zookeepers, well, a zookeeper that can kind of represent the the fantastic week of zookeepers. Yeah. Um, well, it's an accomplishment uh, to have these folks come in because I got to say, they're really busy people. Yeah. And uh, the animals don't just say, eh, go ahead, take the yeah. morning off, go do a radio show, and yeah. then come feed me yeah. when it's convenient. Yeah. And, and yeah. they can't just, it's like your cat at home or your dog at home. They don't just put the food in the bowl in the morning and pet them on the head and go to work. Yeah. Their work day is making sure everything is right and their dedication yeah. uh, of all the people that are coming today to speak is amazing well, I mean, they, they're all very very dedicated and 
very intelligent in what they do. There's no question about it that Potter Park is very well represented uh, for its size in the world. Uh, they have a great staff. And we'll hear from Carolyn Schulte today, who is a zookeeper. We also have with us in the studio Pat Fountain, who is the animal care supervisor and is really a very well-respected guy, especially in rhino circles, uh, where he has obviously gotten a lot of attention here for what he's done with the rhinos. Absolutely. But bottom yeah. line is, he is uh, someone who you would never know out of Lansing, Michigan, that you yeah. get the people who are speaking at the programs for rhinos, because I don't think they're known for this area. And, and when you see him, he looks just like a normal person. <laughs> but, but here he is uh, with a, a real passion for rhinos. It's Absolutely. very interesting. Absolutely. Um, sorry. That's all right. How, how close were we? No, we, no, we just need to pick up from there. Okay. I just didn't know what to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just dead. I should have kept going. That's okay. Go ahead. Where were we? Oh, yeah. And so rhino. So um, I'll come to it. And as a respected rhino person, you always wonder where they got started. How how did we? <laughs> you know, because we I know Rick probably had aquariums when he was a kid, but you don't have a rhino in your backyard. Not no. unless you're the Black Panther. Well, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> that's about the only way that would work. Yeah. But, but that's that's what we're going to talk about this week. Again, we've got some real great experts here from the Potter Park Zoo, and for all of you who haven't been there, you really ought to think about going because it's something that all of Lansing should have a great deal of pride in having here in our midst because for a city our size, not a lot of them have zoos, especially AZA-accredited ones, so it's something we should be really proud of. So that's the conversation we're going to talk about this week on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. Two legs, good. Four legs, better. Any more or less than that, it's a party. It's the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. I am the little red rooster. We're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And Rick and Doc, we have with us here in the studio a returning guest, but it's been a while since we've seen her face, and we're so happy to have her here. It's Cindy Wagner, who is the executive director at the Potter Park Zoo, and she is not just here with herself. She's brought the zoo crew. I've wanted to say that forever on the radio, but I haven't been able to always say it. So now I can say it. So welcome back to the show, Cindy. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. Uh, Cindy, to begin with, let's talk about what's going on with the zoo, just big picture, kind of. Where are you guys at in terms of getting back to normal, I guess is a fair thing to say, because I haven't talked to you since things kind of went a little bit off the rails for everybody. So how back to normal is the zoo? What's going on over there? There's a lot going on. I would say we're relatively back to where things were before in terms of COVID and just um, all our education programs are going back again. Events are back up to speed where they were. Um, admissions doing great. People are coming to the zoo. So really there aren't any changes there, but we have a lot of new projects going on. Fantastic. Let's talk about those new projects. What kind of things are you getting? What can we expect if we go there and haven't been there in a couple of years? 
If you've been there in the last five years, you've noticed that our paths are in terrible condition. So when people walk around the zoo, there's a lot of trip hazards, the asphalt's falling apart. So that's been a project that we've been working towards for quite a while. Um, and starting August 7th, we're going to be replacing all of the asphalt in the zoo. So awesome. every path that visitors walk on will get replaced um, starting August 7th. It'll probably take a couple months, um, and we're going to do it in three phases. So we're going to put information out on the website and on all our social media, and we'll send out newsletters. Um, we'll have signs up, but it'll be over the course of about 12 weeks, um, three phases. It'll be great when it's finished. There will be no trip hazards. Guests will be able to walk the zoo safely. Um, the zoo will be much more accessible, and everybody's ready to see it happen, especially our staff. <laughs> right. Well, I'm sure aesthetically it'll also be dramatically more pleasing to see. Dramatically. And, and not just that. We're, there's several areas where we're eliminating asphalt and we're not putting it back in. So when you walk around the zoo, there's a lot of asphalt and there's areas we don't need it. So we're going to turn those back into green spaces. Um, so some sustainability efforts there, too. And it'll be great. Fantastic. Now, when it comes to getting that project done, how long has it been in process? It was more about getting the financing for it. So our millage was increased last year to allow for some additional CIP projects. So we thank our community for that. Um, and that is allowing us to spend with engineering fees and all the construction costs about $1.5 to do this project. So it's a lot of money, um, a big investment, but very much necessary. <laughs> so, so how is this going to impact the person coming to the zoo? And will there be certain exhibits that will be off limits or I know you mentioned you have it in three phases how does that work or or do you want people just to kind of climb the chain walls uh, of, uh, or down the grass you know <laughs> cut through you know <laughs> it'll be very well marked it will affect um, visitor experience in terms of whatever phase is getting done that area of the zoo will be closed to visitors mostly for their safety um, yeah. There's going to be a lot of big trucks, a lot of big equipment. We don't want public walking where that's happening for safety reasons and also for animal welfare. So wherever the construction's happening, we need to be able to put those animals inside or move them into places in the zoo where there isn't construction if they're very sensitive. Um, so we're going to have somebody monitoring that, but we need to be able to have those animals in so visitors wouldn't have been able to see them. Yeah. Right. I, I'm, uh, first thing I think about asphalt is, you know, the odors associated with that. So yeah. I imagine, you know, harmful chemicals that would be coming from there. So that has to make an impact on, on animals. The noise is what we're expecting to be one of the biggest hurdles. Um, so we're going to pay attention to that. And um, the construction crew has been great with talking to us and planning and making sure that um, we can communicate if there's an animal that needs something, you know, we can adjust the plan. So Of course. Yep. Of course. Your trails, same width, same size, different play areas? Because um, most of them are are wide enough. So there's a few that are a little too wide. Uh, so we're going to narrow them where we can. Um, we're going to take out some big spaces that we don't need. And really in the back of the zoo, if you've been back there, um, back by penguins, elk area, uh, there's not a great accessible way around. Right. So we're making a new accessible path back there, um, really rebuilding anything that's not currently accessible. Great. So it'll be fantastic. There's a few viewing areas that are currently crushed limestone, which is okay, but it makes a mess and makes it kind of slippery for kids. So those are going to be asphalt now. Um, a lot of improvements. It'll be fantastic. Any um, any improvements as far as, not saying improvements, but uh, is it affecting uh, signage or is it affecting landscaping? Is there any projects that go along with that or, or landscape and signage is pretty well in place? 
for the project, we'll, well add during signage. the project, yeah, that's what I was wondering. Oh, we're we're going to add a lot of signage to make sure everybody knows where they're going. We're actually going to get to use the old admissions booth before the entry plaza was built. We're looking at that as a historical uh, opportunity to teach people about <laughs> the old part of the zoo. Um, but we'll we'll direct people. We'll have signs up. We're going to have extra volunteers there to make sure people know, making a new map. We'll gotcha. And, and, and there is a reason for you, the uh, listeners today that Rick is asking about signage because there were a little difficulty getting here this morning. And so uh, uh, we're glad he made it. So, so for maybe some, that was on my. For, yeah, I, I, I took the wrong wrong exit. So for some people in the room, uh, signage is important to everybody, but critically important to some other people. Yeah, yeah that's no, great. No, but I guess actually I was thinking of it a little differently. Uh, once the project's over, did yeah. did you need to put up new signage um, or landscape? Was that affected in any way? Will it look any different? There will be a few places where there were asphalt that will be green space and we'll add trees or try to change those yeah. into pollinator areas. Just in nice. general, we're going to cool. do that throughout the zoo. Yeah. Um, most of the signage that's in place is can stay. It won't be affected by the yeah. asphalt, but if we need to add some, we will. Yeah. Well, let's let's move on from asphalt. All right. I mean, it's pretty <laughs> exciting. But. I, I, have, I have one really pressing. This is a veterinary part of life. When COVID hit... We had lots of stuff in our veterinary journals about cats or dogs that were potential COVID carriers. Did you have issues with that also? We had a lot of safety precautions put in place for our animal care um, staff, and there are still several areas where they are utilizing masks with those animals. So that is one thing that I don't see changing no matter how far away we get from this is there are certain carnivores and primates that will continue to wear masks with. Okay. Yeah, good. That's sorry to change, but that was um, that was a medical one. No, but it does lead to another area of questions that I think everybody has, which is, Cindy, when it comes to the animals that you see at the zoo, what kind of changes have taken place? Now, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we had one of our rhinos go away, and everyone has been expressing how much they miss them, and <laughs> I have seen those missives. But overall, where what is the plan? What new animals can we expect to see and what do you think are going to be coming at some point uh, down the road uh, so we did we are working on breeding rhinos again because oh. we you know our calf did go to living desert zoo um people do still follow jolly out there right um oh. we are breeding several species that i think um we'll talk about a little bit later so i won't give away the surprise on what we have uh-huh. um and we are working on getting in a new species that's never been at the zoo that is going to be very exciting not quite ready to announce it he's not at the zoo yet um he'll be at the zoo later this year and then we'll announce him for spring um but people are going to be very excited about that animal great i don't want to break so so for for those that are uh, out there listening the zookeepers are are at at bay here um, (laughs) wait waiting to 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 bite at the 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 bit to tell us about uh, all the new animals but we need to look, uh, uh, you know, just for those who live in Lansing, that uh, what kind of curious questions you have uh, th- that you get or that maybe people do or don't know about Potter's Park Zoo in general. You know, like how many people attend. You know, one thing we didn't even th- think about, but there are people out there, I'll bet, that don't even know about Potter's Park Zoo. Would that be a fair assessment? I think that's a fair assessment. Um uh, 
We continually get people that haven't been at the mm-hmm. zoo in a long time. Yeah. And when they show back up, they're like, oh, my goodness, it's so nice. It, you know, it's changed mm-hmm. a lot. Um, they're remembering a lot from, you know, 50 years ago even. Right. Um, and right. the other thing is a lot of people assume we close in the winter. A lot of zoos do close in the winter, especially some other zoos in Michigan. We don't. Um, We stay open partially because we're millage funded and we want to be open for the community. And we have school groups. So we're already clearing snow and doing whatever we need to do with the facility to stay open for school groups um, in the winter. So we are open in the winter. We just charge less because there are some animals not out. Not everything's open. Right. Um, But it's still a great time to visit the zoo. And I think that's probably the thing I hear the most that people are surprised about. Yeah. They think we send the animals somewhere else in the winter um, and they don't. They all stay at the zoo and they can come see some of them. Some of them are more active in the winter, like the otters. Arctic fox, even the elk. They they, yeah. they appreciate it. Yeah. yeah, they love it. Yeah. They love the snow yeah. and the ice. Yeah, when you drive by the uh, road, uh, what's the road that goes past the zoo of the overpass? Pennsylvania. Uh, Pen- Pennsylvania. Uh, uh, going up there, you can hear the elk bugling in the fall. Oh, you can? No, That's I've been up there awesome. in the fall. I've been oh, driving Aurelius. You're probably on Aurelius. Yeah, on Aurelius. Yeah, yeah, Aurelius. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm up there on Aurelius, and you're driving along, and you hear an elk bugling. You go, where in the heck? <laughs> yeah, That's they're... Emmett. That's Emmett, our male elk, and he's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you separate some of these animals in the fall when, they, when the rut starts? Do they get more aggressive to you and people? Specifically the elk, yes, we do separate. Yeah. We our herd is the size that it needs to stay right now, so we're not trying to have any more elk okay. uh calves. They in the news lately, the Yellowstone, every single week when I'm reading the paper in the morning, somebody is either gored by a bison or an elk chasing it. And then you know, at the zoo, luckily we're pretty safe at your zoo. Uh you don't have the ability to reach a hand in there and lose it there. I would say we work very hard to make sure everybody's very safe. Yeah. Um and the keepers don't go in with the elk or any of the dangerous, any potentially dangerous animals. So um, they shift the elk into a different yard and then they go clean. So how do you shift them safely? They shift (laughs) for food. Um, They're kind of on a routine where they know that they come in in the morning and then they, you know, they can get their browse or get get their grain. Show me an Oreo and I'll follow you anywhere. That seems to be true. (laughs) 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 I'm just thinking about how I always, uh, my wife, uh, and breakfast, and <laughs> I'm I'm very well guided. <laughs> That's all I can say. I'm very well guided. You can get him out of the room. And now, uh, for those that uh, don't know, because it's been a while since uh, uh, we've changed direction with the zoo, where Ingham County is involved, can you kind of give an idea the funding part of Potters Park Zoo and and how it is that Potters Park Zoo continues, and where does the funds come from? Yep, Ingham County took over management in 2007, um, so still city-owned, but Ingham County managed, and about 70% of our budget, our operating budget, comes from a millage that Ingham County uh, residents support, and we appreciate that. We couldn't function without that support, um, so that's a property tax millage that right now is on a six-year cycle. Um And like I said, it's very well supported. We appreciate the community voting for that. Uh, It is about 70% of our millage or our revenue, and then the rest is earned revenue through the gift shop, admissions, restaurant. So this asphalt project, for instance, or other elements that you need to, to, you know, how has the uh, funding from Ingham County affected that? Because you've been there, you've been there prior to that as well as through this, whether in one position or another at the zoo. What, what year did you start at the zoo? 
I started as a zookeeper in 2003, right. and then I was curator in 2013, and then director in 2000. So you've seen a lot happen. So, and and we started with Ingham County at what year? 2007. And what the, for from 2007 to 2023, what have the residents of Ingham County got for that that uh, uh, they arrangement, if you will? Because the, it was a, it was in a pretty difficult situation mm-hmm. prior to that, right? Financially? Yep. What so has it gotten? It was hard to see some of the improvements that have happened because a lot of them are behind the scenes with either roofs or HVAC units or things that the public might not see, but that are keeping the buildings right. you know, functioning. Right. Um, we have some new animals. The elk exhibit was fundraised for and was part of that and Red Panda. And the pathways are almost solely being paid for by the millage. So um, that'll be a major improvement that uh, will be very visible to the people. Fantastic. Uh, Cindy, I want to take a break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to shift gears and start talking to uh, one of your zookeepers because for people who maybe aren't on Facebook, they don't know that this is National Zookeeper Week. And bottom line is uh, you guys have been doing a great job of publicizing them. So we're going to meet one and talk kind of uh, about the zoo from the perspective of a zookeeper right here on 1320 WILS. <laughs> Finally, two hosts your pets can relate to. It's Rick Pruce and Lee Cohen on the Mid Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. I'd like to be under the sea. In an octopus's garden. It's 9.35 and we're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we've been talking this morning all about the Potter Park Zoo. And now joining us uh, here in the studio, we have a zookeeper. It's Carolyn Schulte. And we are so happy to have you here, Carolyn, because I guess you're the one I have to say it to. Happy National Zookeepers Week. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Um, happy to be here. Oh, it's our pleasure. Can you talk about, for people like me who are pretty (laughs) not always up on everything, what does the zookeeper do exactly? Because bottom line is, I'm just thinking, are you the person who's kind of there, who's got the the (laughs) stick and the whip, or or what what is it that the zookeeper does? Yeah, I usually, when I meet people and tell them what I do, I usually get a lot of questions about, what does that actually entail? Um, So being a zookeeper has a lot of facets to it. Um, we're part of the education education programs at the zoo. Um, so we have an education department, but keepers are involved in chats every day to educate the public about certain species. Um, we also do all the cleaning. So just like you would assume, animals, they eat a lot and they make a lot of mess. Um, so that's part of my job. Happy to do it. Um, so we spend a lot of time behind the scenes with animals, um, making sure that they're healthy, getting them their food, making sure that they are busy doing natural behaviors. We call that enrichment. So a lot of my day is planning out how is this animal going to spend its time? How is it going to find its food? Um, making sure that they can exhibit natural behaviors, even though they're in a human care setting. Um, so we spend a lot of time thinking about how to make their lives more natural, even though we have them in a setting that's not as natural. Okay, so when you wake up in the morning <laughs> and uh, you get done early. And, and you follow the road signs to work <laughs> and, um, and you get there, what's the f- where do you start, besides your coffee, where oh, do you start? Yeah. 
coffee is very necessary. I usually lose it throughout the zoo throughout the day, and my interns remind me where I left it. Um, (laughs) Very helpful. Um, So the first thing we do is just have a small, short meeting as a department. So I I work with the carnivores and the primates. So if you come to the zoo, anything that is a meat eater, like the big cats or the otters or the foxes, um, I work with those, and also all the primates, which are all of our monkey species and our lemurs and our tamarins. Um, So the first thing we do is just plan our day, find out what the goals are, Um, and what projects we have going on. Um, And then it's checking on everyone, making sure all the animals look normal, acting normal. Um, Animals are usually pretty hungry in the morning because like we all are, breakfast is important. Start your day out right. Um, So making sure that everyone's acting normal, wanting food, wanting to come up and um, I can visually check, make sure there's no injuries, no bumps, no bruises, um, and just normal behavior happening. And then after that, um, it's getting animals into their exhibits for the public. Um, We open at nine, we get there at seven. Um, So just making sure in that amount of time we have exhibits cleaned, presentable, and the animals are out and active when the public arrives. And when you have, let's say, uh, the biggest number of monkeys in a cage, Mm -hmm. Um, we see this in dogs and cats Mm -hmm. too, somebody is going to eat everybody's food. (laughs) So how do you manage that? So um, it's really important when we're planning out how to present food to animals in a group setting, um, that some of it is easily accessible for those animals who may not be as assertive, um, and then making sure that there's food in like more difficult to reach places or in enrichment devices to keep animals busy so those less assertive animals can go around and pick up what they can. Um, we do watch group dynamics closely, and if we feel an animal is being outcompeted, that's the word we usually use, um, we can offer them like hand feedings of certain foods that are more high okay, calorie. Okay, you don't do that with a tiger. Not, no. well, <laughs> with our tigers, we use um, tongs, so okay, our okay. hands are not involved. <laughs> this just looks like my hand, but it's really not. Exactly. Some of our smaller species, um, even if we aren't sharing space with them, we can offer them food um, at our barriers, at our fence lines, um, and make sure that they're getting the calories that they need. Everyone is on a schedule of being weighed. Some of our animals will cooperatively walk onto a scale, yeah. um, so we can monitor them. We try to do that once a month. If an animal is showing like that it, it might be losing weight or gaining weight, uh, we put them on a more frequent schedule so that we can monitor that and keep a, a record of how they're doing. So how do you take a spider monkey and put them on a scale? <laughs> um, with lots of bananas and grapes. You have to factor in that banana weight. It's, it's yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so we have a shoot uh, that they're desensitized uh, to walk through. We put the scale in there. And then it's just a process of having them walk back and forth over it. Um, they have a tail that's prehensile, which means yeah. grasping. And so our most most difficult piece with the monkeys is making sure that that tail is not holding up part of their body weight and that they're cheating the scale a little bit. All of us want to weigh a little bit less. I think the monkeys know that too. So that's the difference mm-hmm. between old world and new world monkeys is the <laughs> tail, right? Um, so yeah, so the new world monkeys that we have, the spider monkeys, um, would be found in South America. They have a prehensile tail. They're up in the trees all the time. Mm. Old world monkeys in general don't have that grasping tail or like a lot of old world yeah. monkeys that we think of in right. Africa would be um, much less arboreal. But there are a lot of arboreal species in the old world as well. They do. Interesting. I, I'm curious. Um, you get to know these characters on a day-to-day, especially mm-hmm. the primates, yeah. but yeah. also oh, I'm yeah. sure you oh, know yeah. each of these animals are, are like basically friends for life, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I'm just curious. Uh, are the characters, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, we're, we're talking about them eating, but then there's always the poop end of it. <laughs> always. Uh, always the poop end what of it. What goes in must come out. I'm imagining, you know, maybe a little bit of mutiny in the uh, primates. Uh, <laughs> what, what do, do you have to worry about them, like, either one having a bad habit where it just kind of smears the window or... or um. 
or throw it. They Throwing it. Throw I, it. That's the first yeah. thing I thought about. So those behaviors we more associate with apes. Um, so monkeys and apes, are they're all primates, um, but apes don't usually have tails. Um, they don't have tails. Um, so a monkey is an animal that has a thumb and a tail. That's like the basic definition. An ape is an animal that has a thumb, but no tail. So no. you and I fall into that. All right. Uh, so from the apes, most we... Days. Most days. <laughs> um, so with... Uh, apes, we see more of that behavior. They're super intelligent. I'm not saying our monkeys are not smart, um, but usually those <laughs> behaviors take a little bit more planning. Yeah. We don't yeah. have usually an issue with um, throwing feces and things like that, but monkeys are quite messy, so a yeah. lot of my day, yes, is cleaning up after them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure they get it in places with aren't easy. Yes. But but also that's a window, I imagine, of their health. Uh, oh, for sure. Paying attention to what the characteristics yeah. of that is. You definitely learn what's normal and what's not. Um, and that's our first indicator if an animal is having a difficult time or if something isn't right. Um, we can alert that staff that, you know, like the poo wasn't normal this morning. And yeah. that's a great indicator. Just like if you have children and you're changing diapers, you know when your kid's not oh, feeling yeah. well based on what's there. Um, so we take that into account every day when we're um, cleaning exhibits. No, go, yeah, go and do you control like um, grooming issues on them? Because I know in uh, stress in small animals mm -hmm. will have issues. They'll stop grooming or they'll overgroom mm -hmm. or they'll tear their coats out. Yeah, so How we definitely... If we have an animal that's showing like a behavioral issue, like over grooming or not grooming enough, um, we have assessment sheets that we can use. One of those, one of the parameters on our assessments is hygiene. So if an animal like a like a cat who normally grooms himself isn't doing that, or an animal like a primate isn't having its um, group mates groom it as much, um, we can definitely mark that down and then uh, alert vet staff or consider like how we could make their lives better um, with more enrichment or more training, right. um, more keeper interaction or less. If, we, yeah. if we're a cause of stress, then we can also limit like what we do around their exhibits, um, limit noise or limit And stresses. the nutrition on these too, mm -hmm. who, who is in charge of that? Um, so we yeah. had a like nutritional assessment a couple years ago um, to kind of revamp our diets. Um, a lot of zoo nutrition is based off of what we know about like pet nutrition and then also like our own but a lot of it is like emerging science still right. so we we uh, <laughs> definitely um, watch what they are more inclined to eat and what they aren't um, and then we um, as an indicator of um, like how to get them the nutrients that they need right. um, our vet plays a big role in approving diets so if we have an item that we think would be good to add to an animal's diet or we've heard from other zookeepers that we're networking with that they're using, um, we'll try to get those things approved and tested out with our and, animals. And, and do you like do they do phys do you get physical exams on yes. as many as you can and blood testing too? Yeah, so some of our animals are trained for voluntary blood draws, um, like our lions and even our rhino is trained for a voluntary Seriously? blood draw. Yeah, so they can do that awake um, with vet staff. They get lots of treats for doing it. Um, that way, it's a very positive experience. Most of our animals every one to two years receive a physical exam where they go under anesthesia. We can do a full workup, X-rays, and make sure that they're in peak health. Um, but we try to do as much voluntarily as possible. Anesthesia comes with risks, just like you and I. So we want to limit those times if we can. Um, and so a lot of behaviors that are just simple husbandry things, we try to train them to do yeah. themselves. And in, in my career, drawing blood from a really, really big, mean dog was one thing. <laughs> yeah. But drawing blood from a lion that's just eating uh, food <laughs> in front of you, that might be a whole different ballgame. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's quite a process, um, but they seem to be really willing to participate as long uh -huh. as they're getting some sweet treats. Wow. That's, that's amazing. As far as the zoo goes and all the types of animals, I imagine some animals require more vet attention and uh, overall health attention. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and some not so much. Uh, how, in your department, are you a 
lion's share of that response. I was waiting for that today. Um, I think with animals that we um, are monitoring for pregnancy or old age, we definitely spend a lot more time communicating with vet staff about their health. Um, animals who are in like kind of the prime of life, we can um, just do those weigh-ins once a month and like, every two-year check-in. But if they're going through a life change, we definitely spend more time assessing them. Well, Carolyn, we want to thank you so much for sharing a little bit of time with us during this National Zookeeper Week thank and you. telling everyone about what goes on with it. Uh, we need to take one more break, but when we come back, we've got Pat Fountain here, who is the animal care supervisor. So we'll just see exactly what it takes <laughs> to keep all these animals thriving out there uh, right here on 1320 WILS. About to go water some fire hydrants. But they're back now on the Mid Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and we've been talking this morning all about Potter Park Zoo, and we have with us here in the studio the Animal Care Supervisor, Pat Fountain. Welcome to the show, Pat. Thank you for having us. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you. Pat, I'll, again, I'll ask you the same question I asked Carolyn. Why, you think you know what it means to be an animal care supervisor, but I'm going to ask anyway. Tell me what you do day to day at the Potter Park Zoo in order to keep these animals healthy, which is what I imagine the, the overall goal is. Definitely. So my uh, main focus at the zoo is to oversee the, uh, the animal collection and the keeper staff and the animal care staff. And really what that breaks down to is it's my job to get the keepers everything they need to be able to do their job well because we do have some of the best keepers uh, in the world um, and they do an excellent job. So as long as I keep them happy, uh, sometimes with food, sometimes with supplies, um, we're usually rolling in the right direction and doing a pretty good job. That's great. I always associate something like that as a you know, a bricklayer with uh, mortar and bricks. And if you show, show up without enough mortar or n not enough bricks, you don't have a the, wall to build. If, doesn't go. if the penguins have too much herring and not enough capelin, they get real upset. So yeah. I wow. got to make sure we're well stocked on all the food we need and all the, all the supplies we need so everyone can get everything done. And you have, uh, I, this is weird, herring and stuff. Where do you get it from? And is it fresh? Uh, we have, we have, uh, individually frozen fish from a supplier over uh, I think that one's on the east coast now wow. um, so they get they can get us all different types of fish and uh, seafood we get uh, a number of different things for um, like the the otters they like squid or we try crayfish we try different things to uh, to enhance their diet so as does well. do the leftovers ever have a picnic at your place for the people <laughs> no I don't <laughs> just curious they're, they're not the most appetizing <laughs> once you thaw them out but <laughs> I, I, yeah. And I would have to assume that um, mm -hmm. a zoo, um, kind of, yeah, it's, you know, private zoos, public zoos, um, lots of different view, zoos in all, all communities. But I would imagine coordinating or communicating uh, via, whether it's the internet or however, learning of how to continually improve what you do, how you do it, and where to get stuff. Um, is there a regular community of of people in your position or zoos in general that share that information? Definitely. There's, that's one of the, the biggest things that I think we as a zoo do well is our commitment to professional development and to networking with other, other zoos and working with other zoos. We, we have a goal, or I personally have a goal, of sending 
every keeper we have to a conference or to some sort of professional development every year because the better the better our keepers are, the better we're going to be as a zoo. And what comes along with that is all the connections you make with other zoos. So I personally, I've been a member of the International Rhino Keepers Association for um, about eight or ten years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, I was actually just voted on to their board of directors. So Congratulations. The, the connections I've made in the rhino community have become invaluable with the rhinos we have here at the zoo. Uh, Carolyn, she's been going to otter workshops, so she knows otter keepers across the country. So if we have any questions for any species, we know exactly who to call or who to reach out to. Um, on the internet, the AZA website has a forum list of all different species, and I can ask a question on there, and experts from around the country can give me their advice, can weigh in. We can we help people out all the time with what we're doing. So it's, it's really an invaluable tool. I know being a member of the AZA um, – what does that mean to you in your position and as a zoo? Because some zoos are not AZA, some zoos are. Um, what does it mean to you to be AZA? It means quite a lot. It's it's the gold standard for zoos. It's it's the highest qualifications. It is the it's it's the goal that we strive for. We want to do the very best that we can, and what they represent is is just that. It's that you are. You are taking care of these animals and taking care of the community and the zoo in the best possible way. So it's really it's really a community of, of zoos across the country that really work well together and really mean a lot. And we actually just went through our accreditation this year. So you get accredited every five years. There, there are other organizations similar to AZA, mm-hmm. right? Do you communicate with zoos that are maybe not a member of AZA but are a member of another affiliated organization yeah there's there's other organizations and other zoos and that kind of comes into comes into like our networking with other zoos some of these conferences we go to and stuff you meet people from the smallest of zoos to the biggest of zoos and right and everyone cares about their animals that's yeah. that's the one thing you're going to see if anyone in this profession they're not going to be doing it if they don't really care and aren't trying their best so we can you can learn from anybody you can learn from the smallest zoo to the biggest we're not the biggest zoo in the world but um, but I've gone to a few rhino conferences presented on like the work we do with our training with our blood draws and stuff and I every zoo every size of zoo has has called and asked how we do it how do we do this and nice. and it's just really nice to be able to share what you know and to take in what anyone knows. So so when you go to your um, rhino meeting, do you guys have like a just a secret handshake? <laughs> yeah. uh, I would say I would say any conference you go to. Um, Rhino people are real different from otter well, people. I and you think. can kind of – my first conference was actually in, in England, and wow. I didn't know anyone. And I got on a train, and I saw this one person, and I said, that person works As a rhino rhinos. person, no And way. I went up and asked her in, in a foreign country, and she's like, I am going to the conference. And I said, I could tell. So you can just you – can, you can spot each oh, other from a mile so away. It's not smell or anything. No, no, no. no, no. So that, that brings up another unique thing that your zoo is doing with tadpoles. Yeah, so we, we recently just – um, bred our Puerto Rican crested toads, and we released, we shipped and released about two thousand tadpoles back to Puerto Rico oh. to be released in the wild. Tell How us big about are the they? T- well, tell us oh. about the frog. Yeah. So the Puerto Rican crested toads are endangered. Um, they they're having a, a pretty hard time breeding in the wild. Uh, for example, for us to breed a toad, there's a, a number of steps we have to go through. We have to take these toads, we have to put them in their special tanks, make it rain for so many days. We have to put them in a fridge, cool them off. We have to warm them then back up. We have to play 
uh, well, we call it sexy toad music, but toad calls for them for a number of days to get them excited. And then oftentimes we have to also inject them with uh, different hormones and stuff to get them to breed and amplex. So the amount of work we put into getting them to breed I can only imagine in the wild how hard it is to uh, to be successful. So anytime we get tadpoles, we're very excited. We had one pair that was really successful, and then we had one pair who lay, who had one tadpole. Uh, so one had about 2,000, one had about one. Um, <laughs> and then it's a really exciting day for the keepers to be able to actually physically yeah. pack them up and ship them off and, and then get them released. How, are, do they, are your tadpoles at the leg stage when you ship them, or are they Mm-mm. very young? They're very young. Trying to get them probably in their environment. Quickly as possible. As quickly as possible. So how big are they when they go? Oh, I mean, they're... A centimeter? Yeah, maybe a week. Not even a week That's a half an inch Mm -hmm. for everybody out there. They're small. And and what environment uh, in Puerto Rico do they inhabit? Is there a certain niche that they... Uh, Yeah, yep. So we we sent them... They have certain release sites down there. And and actually, we had a huge issue uh, back when the hurricane went through Puerto Rico. Um, We couldn't breed for a couple years because it wiped out a good chunk of that that environment. And it took a few years for it to come back and for Mm -hmm. them to be able to even release again. So um, it was was a pretty big deal. So do you send other... You share other animals, or or as you have baby otters, even when they come through, do mm-hmm. they go to other zoos, or do you keep most of them? Yeah. So when we breed, we most almost every species is involved with an SSP, a, C, a species survival plan, and that what they do is they they're kind of the group that looks at the genetics and says you should breed oh, your right. otter with this otter or that otter with this otter, and they'll they'll make recommendations to, for us to send animals to certain zoos to breed, or they'll tell us. Hey, for this year, you should just hold these two and not breed. Are you doing that with DNA? Are you DNA? Yeah. DNA? Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's cool. That's very neat. So how long have you been doing this? Yeah. I started at the zoo. Right, I was the first uh, first zookeeper for the county. So in 2007, when the county took okay. over, I started. All right. Um, and then I became the hoofstock lead. Um, and so I'm a big rhino person, in case you can't tell. Uh, I really, really enjoy hoofstock. And then uh, I became the, the lead zookeeper, and now I'm the animal care supervisor. So sure. I've been here for about 16 years. Great. When, when, I, uh, when I sleep, uh, I think about, I dream about pet stores sometimes, like <laughs> Go building a pet store or <laughs> all the trials and tribulations. Uh, when you sleep... What do, you, do, what do I dream does of? the zoo does the zoo and, and animals come up? He sees a big horn. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean sometimes you dream. Sometimes I dream worst case scenarios. Yeah. You know, yeah. this animal's out. This animal's out. What am I going to do? That's what everybody. Does. Um, and you just yeah. think about everything that could happen. So yeah, I do dream about the zoo quite a lot. <laughs> well, it's been a fascinating conversation, Pat. And we want to wish you the best of luck along with the rest of the crew at Potter Park. And thank you to uh, Carolyn for coming in and sharing this. Uh, you guys are a treasure, and I hope Lansing Great. continues to appreciate it because it is. But unfortunately for this week, we have no more time. On behalf of our producer, Bruce Warner, and my co-host in the studio, Dr. Schultz and Rick Proust, this is Lee Cohen wishing all of you a great weekend, a great weekend. We'll talk next weekend on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. Meantime, all of you, please, please take good care of your pets and go to the zoo. Have a great week, everybody.